Episode 10 of the Pirates of the Airways podcast. The podcast where I talk to some of the people involved in the land-based pirate radio world of the 1970s and 1980s. In this episode, I'll be chatting to Burt Bridges. He tells us how he got into pirate radio through some builders from Cornwall while living in a bedsit in Ilford and how to set up the best medium wave aerial using the right size tower block for your frequency. Before we start, let me tell you, if you want to get in contact with us, our email address is piratepod7080 at gmail.com. If you want to hear any of the previous episodes, simply search for Pirates of the Airwaves on your preferred podcast app or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen and click on the picture. Okay, let's get into our conversation with Albert or Bert. Welcome to the podcast, another Pirates of the Airwaves podcast and this week, I'm doing my first ever Pirates of the Airways face-to-face interview uh, with Bert Bridges. Hello. Hello, Bert. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody at the beginning of these podcasts. When did you first become aware of pirate radio as opposed to just radio? Believe it or not, it was after I'd left home. Um, I was given a choice. I found a new girlfriend and the, the, the parents didn't like it. Um, they didn't like her very much. So I was given the choice. I was in my teens and either you dump her and stay home or you stay with her and you've got to leave. So what, what teenager in love, what are you going to do? So I ended up in a bed and breakfast in Ilford and there was these guys were listening to a pirate radio station in, you know, in the same bed and breakfast and one of them turned up one day with a rig. Uh, don't ask how he got it. I don't know. I don't want to know. Um, but he decided I had to use my room because he had a copper pipe down the side of the front of the house. And they did all sorts of weird stuff with it at the time. I had no idea what they were up to. But they managed to turn it into some kind of a dipole and run the wires into my room. And um, we were going to we do a radio station out of your rooms. So I said, well, as long as I'm doing the show. So I said, okay. So that's what happened. And, and this was this was in Ilford. What, what, sort, of, what sort of time period was this? When, when would it have been roughly? 80s. Um, yeah, 85. 85. So you're quite late quite late to the game in a way. Well, yeah. Um, you know, before that, I had a very sheltered life. You know? I, think, I think I was probably out of it by 1985. <laughs> Can you remember what stations they were listening to, the guys were listening to? Yes, Alice's Restaurant. Oh, they were Alice's fans. That probably says a lot about the type of people they are, with no disrespect to Alice's. It's, it's all rock, and I, I was into it anyway, so I was, yeah, I'll, I'll go along with that, you know, no problem. Okay, and when they broadcast from your room, what was that station called? It's called Radio Argus, with a U. Um, people have asked wh- how he got this weird name, and I keep thinking it's uh, associated with the, um, the shop. Yeah, no, it's got a U in it. And basically, uh, we were puzzling over what name um, to go. We'd heard about Radio Jackie being busted and closed down for good because of this station called Radio Mercury, which is a 24-7 licensed station with, you know, all singing, all dancing. And yet somehow this pirate was managing to get better listenership than they did. It doesn't say a lot about Radio Mercury, does it? Anyway, um, we decided, because there's a book on the bookshelf about Greek mythology, 
And we discovered that Mercury, he was a messenger of the gods. But he had this journalist guy called Argus, who had a thousand eyes, and everything he saw, he told Mercury. So, right, we're going to be Argus, and we're going to say to you, and Mercury's got nothing to say to the gods, and they're going to be rather angry with them. And that was rather convoluted over a few beers, um, how, we, how we got the name Argus. That, that, that sounds like a few beers conversation, to be honest, not, not unlike a lot of pirate situations. That, that, that's funny. I always, I always uh, think it's really interesting how radio stations get their names and who chooses them. And it's always someone who always uh, claims ownership. I actually don't remember who it was actually said, yeah, go with it sort of thing, but it's, it's sort of unanimous. So Argus, first of all, medium wave or FM? It was FM. FM. And what sort of frequency were you using? 104.7 FM. Right, okay. And you, were you a Sunday station or a Saturday night or what were you doing? It broadcast once, okay. And then uh, it was making weird noises, getting very hot and um, it's been retuned anyway from somewhere else on the band. Um, and we decided to stay off till we found an engineer who would actually know what he was doing. Um, and we found one. Um, and these guys, the other three guys, were actually up in um, London on a roofing job. They all came from Cornwall. Um, and this old boy who joined, uh, worked for the IBA in the past and so on, um, and he, he wanted to retire anyway and go down to Cornwall himself. So what ended up happening was the station, after that one broadcast, went to Cornwall. Um, I went along with it a few times, but I had my job in London. So it got established in St Ives. And there's 103 FM or somewhere like that down there. And um, I did a few broadcasts down there on holiday um, over the next couple of years. And sort of that was the end of it as far as I was concerned for a long time. I actually got married and went on honeymoon in Cornwall, but nowhere near where the station was. So <laughs> I didn't even know it was still on the air. Yeah, I, I got back into radio really um, towards the end of the 80s. Um, I was living in a downstairs flat. And the guy in the flat upstairs kept playing Capital Gold at full booming volume. And I got more and more fed up with it. And I was walking through Bromley Town Centre and there's a Tandy shop. And Tandy used to do these 121 project kits. And I saw that it said, it'll own AM radio station. So I thought, okay, let's see if I can do something about this. So I bought it, I sellotaped the aerial wire to the ceiling I built this thing, and sure enough, all these wonderful heterodynes all over Capital Old. And the bloke came bounding down the stairs. What's happening to my radio? Oh, I said, well, you are playing a bit loud. Maybe it's, you know, maybe the, you're playing it too loud. Maybe that's affected it somehow. So turn it down a bit and see what happens. So he went back upstairs, turned it down a bit, and a little bit of heterodyne, because I didn't tweak it too much. So he came down, it's better now, you try a bit lower. So he tried a bit lower, so I, I couldn't even hear it. And I didn't touch the thing. And he goes, that's all right now. So I said, there you go. And then I thought, well, I've got this thing. What can I do with it? I got some advice with some people and ended up, we ended up actually putting out a fairly good local service on medium wave initially. Um, it's a cop-out frequency, 1611. Aren't they all, you know, nice short wavelengths. Um, but um, we did move down later on and... We went on FM as well, which ultimately is what got us busted the first time. And this was under the name Radio Argus? Yeah, I just thought, good name as any, uh, let's bring it back. <laughs> okay, and, and when, when, what sort of um, time would this been about then, roundabout? Yeah, um, it was about 89, 1989. At the time, um, we had low power. Um, it was just covering Bromley, really. Um, and it was on 92 FM, 
At the same time on 92FM, you had RFL, Radio Free London, and RFM, Rock FM, uh, RFL Saturdays, RFM Sundays, and we basically filled in the gaps in between and did the weekday night stuff. Okay. Um, so if you're listening anywhere in Bromley on 92, you had almost 24-7 something going out there. Um, Were you all the same sort of format? Were you all playing that rock music, sort of classic rock? Oh, yeah, it's all rock. Um, well, we, one of the DJs joined from across the road. He's only a young lad at the time. Norman Bates, he called himself. Lovely name. He actually used um, the Norman Bates shower scene track as his <laughs> intro. Pirate humour. There's nothing like it, is there? <laughs> he kept playing Beatles tracks in between the rocks. So I created the asthmatic drunk biker called Zebedee Beetle Grinder. And a lovely jingle, you know, she loves you, yeah, yeah, splat. And it sort of burst into my motorhead. But um, it didn't do it for long because you've got a very sore throat. But that came out when we got busted. The engineer, it wasn't a very good engineer. Um, I'm not naming names. But um, he built us this FM rig that was more powerful than the one we already had. This will get you out very well. It did. Unfortunately, on across all four channels on the TV... So um, we pulled the plug in a hurry. We'd been on the air for about, I don't know, a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes maybe, and stayed off the air. And no one came until the first day I was at my new job. I was just getting ready to go to work and the police turned up and the DTI turned up. There's no mobile phones worth, worth anything in those days. So the police had to uh, contact my company and so I was helping them with their inquiries. Oh, they got the rig and I had to go to court, you know, as you do. Um, but they somehow got hold of this Zebedee Beetle Grinder name. I must have told them somewhere. And that sounds a lot more interesting than Burt Bridges. Um, so I'm in court and there's three magistrates in front of me, a you know, lady, man, lady. And a very, very plummy voiced um, barrister for the DTI. And she goes, on the air... The defendant referred to himself as a Zebedee a beetle grinder. Uh, he ended up with a £100 fine at £5 a week and a conditional discharge. On the way out, I was in um, a nice suit. A previous job I'd had involved a lot of petty cash and just rustling through the pockets and there's an old petty cash slip. DTI standing there, so I get the petty cash slip out. I go to the bloke with the DTI and say, how much was that fine again? And he looks at me and says, don't let me see you here again. So I look at him and say, well, don't bust me again. Anyway, um... After that, we stayed on and found a different engineer, a better one. And, you know, we, we started taking off a bit then. We moved from Bromley to a place, uh, Lewisham, and that was nice. It was a three-story house, top flat, with an attic on top of a hill with a dirty great lime tree right at the bottom of the garden. So what, were, you, were you broadcasting FM still then? Or? It was AM and FM. It was one or the other. By then, we moved the FM up to about 104.4. And we got involved with Radio Free London. And the idea was that at that time they would provide all the transmitters and links and everything. And I just had to install it. Um, they'd do their shows on Saturdays and I'd, I'd, I could use it whenever I want most of the week, which is okay, except the links weren't that good. And it was only going about half a mile. Um, and then someone was up the block anyway and took the stuff away and all the rest of it. You know, the usual stuff with FM. It's just not worth the hassle, to be honest. Well, it happened on Medium Wave as well. It certainly did to us. My experience, FM's just grief. If the, you know, the, the DTI or Ofcom, as they are now, don't get you, some of the other stations will. Rock FM had the situation where one um, station decided they're going to move down from 92.5 onto 92, and neither RFL or FM moved off. And, yeah, 
you know, this is that this is what it's like now. I interviewed Piers Easton, as I'm sure you know, for the first podcast that we did some time ago now. And the reason he got out of the whole thing in the end was because he was being threatened by various stations because he was working with one station and other stations were threatening him saying, you shouldn't be doing this. And it, and in the end, someone pulled a knife on him and he said, that was it for me. I, I finished with it. Um, and I, I certainly know that um, th- th- there was a lot of competition because there was a lot of stations wanting to get on and a lot of competition for frequencies. It became quite um, unpleasant, I think is probably the best way to describe it. I was doing an RSL, um, gosh, it must have been not in the 90s sometime, and uh, it, it was on, uh, I can't remember, 94.4 foot, something like that anyway, not not far from Radio London. And um, uh, I got rung up while I was on the air and someone said to me, you've nicked our frequency and stuff. I said, that's no problem. I told them where I was. They said, you want to come down and see me? Not realising I was an old pirate. So uh, they never came down, of course. It was all just bluster and blurb. But I, I know it did get unpleasant, um, certainly towards the end of the 80s and beginning of the 90s. Well, we were told to move frequency because the bloke who built the rigs for 104.4 had a friend who wanted to go, who wanted this station, wanted to go on there. So we're going to move to 105.8, apparently. So the logic answer that was, why can't they go on 105.8? It's a new station, who cares? You know, but anyway, in the end, I just dug out the 1125 kilohertz rig. We had the medium wave rig floating around. And I thought, let's just put this on properly. Uh, it's just not worth a hassle. If, you know, if the feds don't get you, someone else's. FM's just not worth it. Yeah, as I said, I've, I've never really only once ever broadcast my stations on FM and, and that didn't go very well. <laughs> Again, another story that, that, that people have heard on this podcast before, but basically the rig was nicked. All the rigs were nicked. They were both broadcasting from the same site and they both got taken. But but not not by the not by the, the DTI at the time, by I don't know, someone someone a nosy individual, shall we say. I've, I've often said this, it's the tower block work is the thing that I wouldn't have wanted to do. And I'm not very good if I'm confronted by people. So I thought probably best not to do that, get involved, leave that to other people. Um, and I'd always use medium wave, so it just seemed the easiest thing to do is carry on on medium wave. Yeah, but you were using field sites, was it? Or Yeah, I was using field sites, car batteries, tape recorders. Um, and I th- we finished about 84 in the end. Um, although at the, towards the end of it, we were actually using a house. Someone let us use a house, which, of course, we had a bigger rig. It was on mains. We could set out the ground plane brilliantly in the garden with loads of earth rods and all kinds of things and get the air all pretty high. So it went out pretty well. But at that time, most of the pirates were either moving to FM and a lot of the medium wave ones were closing down for various reasons. Um, so it just didn't seem much point in carrying on, to be honest. We kind of went the other way. I, I think it's, it was circumstances at the time. I think my audience would have been very different from yours. My, ours was mainly like a punk and new wave station. So our audience was probably much more looking towards, um, you know, nighttime radio one and, and that sort of thing, which is then on FM all the time. And I think that's what they expected. Um, and also Zodiac and Phoenix were both on and they were doing a very alternative service. So it's, it's what it is. You know, when a station's reached, reached its natural end, um, not all stations do reach their natural end, of course. But when a station does, I think it's it's probably best not to flog a dead horse as such. Yeah, I mean, is it dead or not? I mean, the way we got round that issue when we were on medium wave, at eleven twenty five kilos was our main um, service out of an yeah. X radio Jackie rig of all things, and um, we found we had all these other DJs turning up, and some wanted to play the sort of more laid back stuff, some wanted the heavier stuff, so we got another rig, put another wire down the garden, 
and 1593 kilohertz came on here, you see. So, um, yeah, so we had uh, Planet 266, we called one, and Premier Rock was the other one. They're both Argus, and we, we had a patching thing in the uh, studio where you, you could simulcast them or do them separately. So one program would be on the Walkman, Autoverse Walkman game round, and the other program would be live or vice versa or any combination you wanted. So so were you were you linking to the site? No, directly from them. So you had a studio next to the transmitter, basically? Basically, yeah. Everything in the house, all the earth we could find, gas pipes, water pipes, the lot, all earth to a big star point. And the aerial, <laughs> you can probably still see it now um, if you're on a train going between Lewisham and Heather Green and looking in the right place. Because there's a house on top of a hill, okay, with a... Biggest TV aerial mast on it possible. The, the TV mast, the aerial, was never never actually used as a TV aerial. It was pointed the right way, okay, but simply to support the uh, wire. So the wire came out of a little hole in the, in the tiles, up to this mast, and across the tree, and then down inside the tree to a loading coil on the fence, which pulled the signal properly. And it actually got out really, really well. Yeah, you see, it's funny, because you're talking about this, and, and I was never very technical with this, and, and basically... You know, ours was a wire slung between two trees. You know, there were certain things that we did quite well, which, you know, the whole thing went across a, a, a pond. Uh, you know, we, and we ran a wire through that as well. So so that, that those things. But to be honest, we probably lost tons of RF just in the branches of the trees, if the trees be known. If it was wet, I think we were in trouble. I, I remember we went out once when it was snowing and it was very, very dodgy signal that day. <laughs> I think it was the case of that that we, I don't think we knew much about insulating the aerial from the tree branches. So if it was damp, it would always, we'd lose RF basically. By the time it got to the horizontal bit, I think half of the RF had gone. Again, I wasn't technically, I didn't have a, a great technical knowledge. Now, it, for what I know now, and speaking to people like you and other people, I know now I could probably set up quite a good thing. But um I've always been a, a fan of medium wave. I, I really have. I, I, I quite like the the sound of it. Um, it's a bit like vinyl records. I love vinyl records as opposed to digital music because I just think it's got a warm sound. And medium wave for me also has that thing. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I totally get that. But, you know, weirdly, when it's on, I, I quite like to listen to the cricket on long wave just because I like to listen to the cricket on long wave. And you can get it on, on the internet now. You can get it on DAB or whatever you want. I, I, I just think it has a nice warm sound. And it, it's, for me personally, it's nostalgic. And, and a lot of people go, oh, what's the point? But do you know what? I, I think it's each to his own. We did a test, actually. Um, myself and another guy did a test. It was a, in, in the middle of the week, so there's not much on. And we put, um, off the same tower block, um, we put five watts on FM and five watts on medium wave. Yeah, using a sloping aerial um, off the side of the tower block for medium wave. Standard dipole for the FM. And we went for a drive. And we worked it out that what for what, medium wave, providing both the clear channels, medium wave will go seven or eight times as far as FM. So with FM, you've got the quality, but with AM, you've got the potential quantity of listeners. So it's quality versus quantity. I think the difficulty now is, of course, that not many people listen on AM anymore. Oh, I don't know. Well, you've got five live, you've got all that. and, and you... Yeah, but they're, they're switching that off. Are they? Yeah, they've announced they're switching off. Radio 4's going on long wave. And they're closing Luxembourg off, aren't they? On Is it 235? Yeah, well, all these simply mean more available frequencies, doesn't it? Well, it does. <laughs> it does, as long as you can buy, you know, I mean, I, we can all buy receiving equipment for those things. You know, I've, I've got various radios. Um, it, it's a case of, in this day and age, and I've had this conversation on this podcast a number of times, and in this day and age, most people consume their radio digitally, whether it's on the phone, 
on the computer or on DAB. And it's only, it's less now than a quarter of the people listening on FM or medium wave. Now, I understand, I can't see why they should shut all these things down, but I think it's people's expectations and it's that instantaneous thing. I also think people are looking for um, a certain level of, of perceived quality. I'm not going to say it's definitely is quality. I'm saying perceived quality. Um, and I think that's one of the interesting things about it. The choice issue is what it is. Um, so in the past, you were listening to Station X, whatever the station was, and they suddenly started playing a track that for whatever reason, for you personally, was bad news. Maybe you had associated it with a breakup or something, whatever, yeah? You knew that it would be gone in about four minutes. So you're going to bear it until, you know, something else comes on, that's all right. They're playing that way. Now, there's so much other crap on that you just flip away and, you know, or something on YouTube, put that on or... Yeah, I, I, I see, again, for me, although I've always been on music stations, for me, it's, it's about the, the talking content, the, the actual talk content is the thing I always judge a station by. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of BBC Local Radio for that reason, because I think they do a proper job. You know, there's an awful lot of stations out there that are um, generic, you know, whether it's Heart or Capital or Greatest Hits. Yeah, I, I understand. And I've never listened to any of them. Um, the last time I heard Capital probably was back in the, you know, Graham Dean, Roger Scott days. Um, and that's because I lived in London and that's what people listen to. The girlfriend's really. got one of these, um, round things. What are they called? Oh, from Amazon, whatever you call it. And it plays Mellow Tragic. Oh, that's what I call it anyway. Oh, I know. Like Alexa, that's Alexa, play yes. Mellow Tragic. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to work out a way of telling Alexa, never play Mellow Tragic again. <laughs> See if it'll work, but... But this is this is the partly the point I'm making is that that's how people consume radio a lot these days. I mean, I work on a, on an internet station, which again people know about, uh, and it's a local station for Northamptonshire, even though I don't live there, um, but I used to. And I know that their big thing is is it's this Alexa, it's called Alexa Smart or something. I can't remember what it's called, but you you educate the Alexa to recognise the name of the station, and. This is now how a lot of people are consuming their music. I know there are members of my family who don't have, don't own a radio, uh, not even a DAB radio, because there's, they don't need to. Anyway, I think we're getting a little bit off the subject here. <laughs> so so you, you decided to move away from FM and you're now very much medium wave. One of the things we were talking about before we started recording was you were describing how you broadcast on medium wave from tower blocks. And I was quite interested in this because I know people who did this and they tended to string a wire between two blocks at a high point. I know. And I, I couldn't quite understand at the time because I was told it was about the vertical. It was all about the vertical. So explain to me how you used to run medium wave from tower blocks in a not too technical way. Okay. Well, the first guy to do it, as far as I'm aware anyways, uh, Dave Fuller. Dave Fuller, who was from um, RFM, he was the first guy to do it. And he did, he had an 819. He, he got someone to build him an 819 um, transmitter, and they said, it's not going to work, but just build it anyway, just prove it doesn't work, or prove it does, you know, it's that sort of situation. So he takes it up the block, he earths it to the lightning conductor, and he drops the wire off the side of the block, and he walks away with it on the bottom, yeah, and he's got too much. So he just wraps it around a bush, and then it goes back upstairs, flips it on, and goes for a drive, and it's getting out everywhere. So um, it was from there... Um, a bit later on, he said, he turned up at my, my place when I was, you know, in Bromley, 
doing medium wave and Bromley at the time. He said, so where was he broadcasting from? Where was his well, rig? Um, that would have been some, I mean, that would have been somewhere, I think, in sort of northeast London, Essex area. Okay, I don't right, know exactly. Right. I don't know exactly where no, it was. No, I mean, it, it, well, I'm just... So... It, it was massive in Epping. I know that, as you said. So, um, <laughs> but I don't know actually where it was. Um, you know, I think it may have been one of the Hackney blocks, but I'm not sure. So he turned up one day and said, I've got another rig. You want to help us put it on? Yeah, okay. So 819 again, and he said, what block can we use? And I, I, I noted one already, Hurley House, which is in Newington Butts near Elephant Castle. And so about that one, yeah, good as anything. So he went up there, put the rig on, yeah, earth the lightning conductor, wire off, tied off, okay, and it went for a drive and he, started, he phoned the engineer who lived at the time in Charlton, which is the other side of Woolwich, not very far from Elephant Castle. And he said, turn the thing off now, it's end stop. Yeah, someone's going to get, if they touch the end of that area wire, they're dead. <laughs> so we said, no, it's not, they're not going to be dead. In any case, what we what you always do with these uh, things is you attach the end of the area wire, fishing line, strong fishing line, yeah. and you actually walk past wherever you're going to tie it off to. So the actual end of the area is in midair. Yeah, it's not contacting yeah. anything. And then you actually tie the fishing line off. Yeah. So it's way above. So, so it's insulated, basically. Yeah, it's the, way above head end, height. Yeah. You're not going to touch it. Yeah, and if it does break, it'll probably break where it leaves the tower block end. In which case, the rig will go pop, and that's the end of the story. No one get no. Yeah. Um, besides which, I've actually have touched the end of aerials like that, and I've never got blitz, so that was nonsense. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I know people have had to turn transmitters off with broom handles before now because there's so much RF <laughs> flying around. But um, in this case, I mean, that's how the edge was started. The station came on called The Edge. It was just continuous music going around um, with The Edge, you know, everywhere. And that was The Edge. And um, I actually helped him put it on the first one. That was 819 again? That was on 819. Mm. But uh, in the meantime, I just wanted one for my own. Um, and basically, they persuaded the builder, uh, one of the builders, to build one for me. He said, we can't have it on 819. I said, I'm going on 819. So they said, well, at the time they are using... Um, what's called a flip-flop. Basically, you take a crystal and it can divide the frequency down, okay? Okay. So um, I said, well, 9 kilohertz, 9 megahertz, sorry, divided by 8, which you can do, is 1.125, 11.25. Right, okay. I said, all oh, right, yeah, okay. So I got a 9, <laughs> nine megahertz crystal, did all the flip-flop business, so turned it down to 11.25, and there's my first rig. And okay. This, and then I put it up. First of all, you go for the tallest block, don't you, thinking FM-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah, tallest bot you can find. And it was only rubbish. So what's going on here? So I put it on a lower block a uh, week, week or two later, and it got out really well. So me and Dave are sitting in the pub, as you do, money over, you know, what's going on here? And I just drew a diagram of it, you know, side of a tower block, there's the ground off to one side, and there's your area coming down at 45 degrees. That looks familiar. Hang on, this is Pythagoras. <laughs> and that's how we worked it out. So you've got the height of the block, the square of that, assume three metres of floor, plus the, obviously the ground's free space to one side. Add the two squares together. So you have the vertical and the horizontal. Yeah. And it gives you the diagonal length. The diagonal, which is the aerial. Which is the ideal quarter wave. Well, it's, it's, it's eventually. It works, yeah, and it works really well. Mm. I mean, it's not going straight up, but it's diagonal. And it's in free space. Yeah. So, um, and that, of course, is a hypotenuse. And um, when we realised that, we started looking at all the tower blocks and we think, yeah, that's 819 or 
that'll do 1593 or whatever. <laughs> so the heart of the town was relevant to the frequency Very you had to broadcast on. Except for one thing. Um, just briefly, um, we came off the tower block that was too low on 1125. Okay. This was in Peckham. And um, to the north was the River Thames, three miles away. To the south, 28 miles away, was Gatwick Airport. Yep. We got Gatwick Airport and we didn't get the Thames. It's that directional. Because what happened was it came down, the first eighth of a wavelength was in free space, and the last eighth of a wavelength was basically laid across the top of a hedge. And it made it directional. Okay. So if you want to... Um, so was it coming off the horizontal... Oh, sorry, off the um, diagonal? Yeah, the diagonal came down, and then the rest of the area, as long as the rest of the area was there, yeah, it seems that it worked in that direction. So it was pushing in that straight out... Yeah, the direction that right. was laying across... across, across so fence. almost where the area was pointing in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. And oh, right. so, you know, if you ever want to broadcast into Birmingham or something, you know what to do now. <laughs> I didn't hear that, anybody. <laughs> I don't live in a tower block either. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 I see that. I see that. <coughs> Again, with aerials for me, it was always a bit of a mystery because, because I said I wasn't very technically minded. But I remember one week we, we, we came from a site where the, the gap between the trees wasn't long enough, but there was plenty there. And there was another tree which was in the centre further away. Okay. So it, it was in like a, in the air, it was in like a V shape, but like an arrow shape. Yeah, yeah. And we got out really well. Yeah. On uh, against the arrow, if that makes sense, yeah, yeah. against the apex. Yeah. Um, the other way, you barely got about two miles, I think, That's <laughs> the right. other way. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody knows now we used to broadcast from next to Bancroft School in Woodford Green. There's a piece of forest there. We used to broadcast from there regularly, a lot. You couldn't hear it in Epping, yeah. but you could hear it fantastic in Edmonton and further across yeah. that way. Yeah. So it, it went really good one way, and we couldn't quite understand why in, in later we only did that once or twice, I think, because uh, we tried to move about a little bit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, aer aerial technology is something I never quite get. <laughs> but that's so, how we discovered it, though. Yeah. It was so where are we at now? So so you're now, you've discovered this this brilliant tower block thing where you're broadcasting louder than anything else um, <laughs> yeah. using, using this this yeah, diagonal but, tower block system. Well, that, that was basically, we, we didn't really link to it much. Um, that was auto-reverse Walkman jobs. Oh, okay. right, okay, yeah. Um, so the real live stuff it kept kept going out on Sundays from... So when you Lewisham. say auto-reverse Walkman, were you running them at normal speed? Yeah. And then so you could get two hours... Two hours. ...without having to do a That's right. Yeah. Later on, when um, we got involved with the shortwave and um, this guy said, well, hang on a minute, we can do something better than this. And he got, uh, what he did was he put separate programs on left hand and right hand, both sides, and you got four hours out of 1 to 120 and there was no feed over. So basically it was running as a two-track system yeah. on one side. It's all mono anyway, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you don't need a stereo anyway, do you? So, <laughs> yeah, it made it work. So, yeah, I was rather pleased with that. I, I always I always say again with pirates, it, it's like necessity is the mother of invention with pirate radio. It's a bit like the guys at RFL running those really, really slow and extra real tape machines with the entire broadcast on one reel. And, and this is exactly the same situation where a guy's thought, right, okay, well, there's two tracks because it's a stereo thing. So if we put one mono track one and one mono track, then we can get four hours on one tape. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love the thought of that. And I wish I'd known. I would have got a whole broadcast on one tape and I had to go back to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's what happened with the, the shortwave after the um, second raid we had. Um, we, we went on shortwave for a little while. I mean, shortwave's okay. Okay, and I know there are people out there who really like shortwave and it goes for miles and blah, 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 blah. 
The problem with shortwave is the listeners you normally get on medium wave or FM for that matter are completely different listeners. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want to, um, they don't comment on the music very much. Okay, you get the occasional ones to do, but they don't sort of say it's so-and-so's birthday next week. Can you play something for them? They really like this track or that track or whatever. Yeah. Um, any of that normal stuff you get, we'll call it normal, yeah? <laughs> what they do say is, I heard you and you were broadcasting on this frequency at that time with my super mega jerk-off, what's the name, with an aerial 100 metres far, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Please sing me a QSL. Yeah. Now, what is a QSL? Well, I know what it is. A QSL is a side admission that you were broadcasting on that date, on that frequency, at that time. Oh, right. Yeah? Okay. How do you know this guy is written into you? You know no idea who this bloke is. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're basically writing a written confession. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could, I, I'm sorry, but I could never understand the point of it. <laughs> the thing is with shortwave is, is to me in my head, it is a, it's a DXer's paradise. Oh yeah. Um, and I've never quite understand why, why shortwave stations look at themselves as being music stations, quote unquote, when really the people who listen are the people who are, can be bothered to tune around or bother to get these stations and they tend to be DXs. They tend to be people who are collecting radio stations, like people collect. And the problem is, train numbers. <laughs> as you'll get their reception report, and it'll say music track, mail announcer, music track, station ID and address, or right. contact details, yeah? yeah, whatever. And then that's the end of the report. They've heard, they've listened as far as their report, right, that's it, tick them off, tune somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all that effort you've gone to, forget it. You know, um, so, I mean, I once did. I once had a rule with the um, when we did shortwave. I said no addresses at all until the end of your show. How long? Just say address coming up shortly. Address coming up shortly. Right, keep, right, right. Keep right, the buggers right. listening. <laughs> well, uh, you see, I think that that's a that, I mean, that's a classic tease, isn't it? It's what they do on radio all the time. I do it on my on my shows. You know, two records time. I'm going to be doing this, and 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 it's a classic radio thing. Of course, you're what you're doing is you're teasing the DXs to keep listening to the whole thing. Um, yeah, shortwave, shortwave has never really appealed to me. I, again, I used to listen back in the back in the late seventies, early eighties, Empire Radio and people like that, and Britain Radio and stuff. But very rarely heard them. I know people who did run shortwave stations, but eventually, you know, people like Zodiac ended up on media on FM in London. But I, I think that was a case of he moved from Surrey to London, so that seemed the most logical thing to do. And I think there's a place for shortwave like there is for anything because there's a lot of hobbyists out there. It's a bit like as I said, train spotters, you know, they love to connect, collect the trains and they, they know what they're all like and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and, and there are many people who are very excited by new trains we're going to have here in the West Midlands. Um, but that, to me, that's what shortwave is. It, it's, it's, it's a train spotting thing. The term is anorak. <laughs> I know it's anorak and I've, and I've used it and I, I use it always with great affection because without all the anoraks, a lot of the stations wouldn't exist any of the stations on medium wave FM or shortwave. And secondly is that um, it's what keeps everything alive. It's what keep, I mean, this podcast is about, I mean, I'm an anorak, you're an anorak. We're all anoraks. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not wearing one. <laughs> no, neither am I. But, but I think what it is, is um, it keeps that, that, um, that love of radio, um, you know, and we all like particular types of radio and, you know, I'm, I'm I've always been more on the entertainment side of it than the technical side of it, or even the legality side of it, to be honest, you know? Um, and I think everybody, 
everybody likes it for different reasons. Um, and they've all got their own reasons. But uh, anyway, so, right. So we, we've got the medium wave stuff. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, is that how the whole thing carried on, basically, for quite a period? Yeah, more or less. I, I mean, mean, we're going into the early 90s now, aren't we? Yeah, we're I mean. moving into the early 90s. Yeah, we, we, we stayed on all the way through, as basically, every, every Sunday. Um, and we got quite a um, proper format going. So the, the shows would start off with, with country and western, believe it or not. Uh, Sunday morning coming down. Brilliant. A much maligned type of music, but I actually think it's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> and then it'd be Catman Jack, and he plays 50s hop and all yeah. that. And then it would go up from there into more like AOR and stuff. Yeah. And then you'd end up with people like Mr. Gore and the Corpse Grinder with an extreme thrash death. Brilliant stuff. Um, and then um, at 11 o'clock, you'd have the late Johnny Kay. Okay. So, so cool because the show was late. And he's generally late anyway. And he'd play rock and blues and whatever he so chose. It was about 11 o'clock-ish. Yeah. <laughs> he'd play his rock and blues and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd be back on. Um, sometimes Lindsay Shepherd will be on. Or sometimes Diane Turner would turn up after a few points. <laughs> Interesting shows uh, from 1am till 4am. Always, always live? Yeah. And, and and the rig in the same yeah. place? Yeah, rigs. And, rigs. <laughs> but you never got you never got busted? We got busted, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, We'd close down at 4 a.m. on a Monday morning. It was always done 4 a.m. on Monday morning. And the reason for that was um, I worked shifts. Okay. And, okay, so on my late shift, it's fine. Just go to bed for a few hours. If I'm a night shift, doesn't matter. If I'm an early shift, <laughs> quick shave and shower and out the door. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked. Um, but, yeah, we got raided um, in 97. Um, I think it was 97. Um, yeah. Um, it's been gone over enough times, I think. Um there's new letter, newsletters uh, put several sides over. And I don't want to go over it again because it may be a case of people putting two and two together and coming okay, up with five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We don't know. Okay. And it's so many balls on the bridge now. I don't want to know. No, yeah. no, no. And it's, it's, it's probably your best, le- best yeah. left that way. What you've yeah. got to remember about podcasts is it's the same as if you put it in print. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to be a little bit careful. Yeah. Um, no, no, I get that. So, so you were. And did you continue after that as well? Yes, yeah. You did carry on. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, because um, the station we were relaying on 11.25 had been announcing they're moving to 15.03. Yeah. Okay, and they moved to 15.03 the next week, and we were on at 14.94. Um, <laughs> it's like right next to each other still. Oh, right, right, right. I thought it was accidental design, but basically we, it came from um, a, another place in New Cross, another bloke's place in New Cross. Um, there's a shorter aerial, so 11.25 didn't really work. So we got a 14.94 crystal, bung that one in. So we went on 14.94 and they were on 15.03. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like the airways were quite crowded then. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, so did Argos finish as such, or is it finished at the moment, or is it still broadcasting? I mean, what I can tell you is uh, the, the official last broadcast of Radio Argos, I'll yeah. give you that. Right. Um, in September 2003, um, we helped out another one of the stations we cooperated with. There's a station called GMR, which broadcasts in Suffolk. And um, basically, I've been helping him out a few times because he set the station up and he had a load of DJs and they all one by one disappeared to this licensed thing called The Beach. So he lost all the DJs to that. So we helped him out a bit. And myself and this guy from um, Holland, Radio Del Mari, um, 
between us. We set up an aerial and put a transmitter on, on 828 that knocked out the Dutch station on 828 at the time for the whole, <laughs> whole of the town. So that's how good this Dutch guy was. He, yeah, yeah. he was brilliant. After we moved to another site um, away from Lewisham, um, we moved to a shorter site, um, some, another DJ's house basically near Grove Park. Um, and it was about 10 metres wide so we could get down the garden. And he managed to load it up with a big loading core around a bucket. So it worked on 783 kilohertz, 383 metres out of 10 metres. It involved another spike, which was a scaffolding pole, banged right down in, and enough radials, it looked like a cobweb on the garden. It got out 40 miles. So you carry on with, with Argos, doing what you're doing, which we talked about. So, and then right through to when about? Loss of date is 2003 to date, to date, yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is this uh, this massive file that you've brought with you today, <laughs> which, which you are creating. Um, tell me, tell me more about it. Tell me what, what you're trying to do with this. Well, it started off basically. Uh, it started off basically as a um, history of Argus itself, because I found out we had all these records of who did what and so on, and I thought, well, it deserves to be put down into print. And, and you know, several years on after, no one could be caught anyway. You know, the DTI are now longer, no longer involved in any way. It's Ofcom. So, you know, and it sort of grew with the telling because you can't tell a story of your own station when it interacts with stations like RFM, UK Radio, for example. We did a lot of stuff with UK Radio towards the end. And this this is a station that was in Wolverhampton. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. which some of, I think some of our listeners might know of. Yeah. Um, because I know we've got people who are in the West Midlands who listen to this. Yeah. Um, it, but, yeah, no, seriously, I mean... Um, when um, PJ, the DJ, uh, passed away, there was, at his funeral, there was many of us there. Yeah. He was a much-loved bloke. Um, and there were other stations, well, I've mentioned RFL, um, there were other stations we cooperated, Radio Pamela, for example, yeah. also. Um, and also another station called Radio Recharge International. Now, that was run by a guy called Tim. Um, and at the time um, we got involved, um, he was suffering from ME. And so um, what we said was, okay, if we have the rig, which he's already offered us anyway, okay, we'll put out any bro any recharge broadcasts you can give us. And there's a guy called Terry Banks who's in um, France on, on the well, French country and Western station. And he used to do shows for um, recharge. So he'd send us the tapes and we put them on. And I've, it's a matter of some pride to me. Um, that the last broadcast to date that went out of Radio Argus ended with a with a relay of Radio Recharge International. Um, we kept to it to the end. Mm. And was that was that from the southeast? Was that from London? You were yeah, that would be from London. Yeah. yeah, the archive is fantastic. I've had a, I've had a little look through it, and you've sent me some some stuff beforehand, and it is really really interesting. Anybody who wants um, wants Bert to to add to that. I'm sure he'd be very, very pleased to hear from anybody who ran stations through any period. I'll tell you now, it's about unlicensed stations. It's only unlicensed stations. And the first entry is 1898, is it? Oh, uh, let me just... <laughs> um, He's having a look through his, his, his big archive. Yeah, 1898. 1898, the first unlicensed broadcast, which was? Um, Queen Victoria. Um <laughs> She was, wasn't licensed. He was broadcasting from a boat to um, pass messages um, to the Prince of Wales. 
Right, okay. I noticed the DTR didn't get hold of her then. <laughs> no, but there's plenty in there. So she's the first. In fact, she was an offshore pirate as well. So anyway, this this great archive. So if anybody out there it wants to um, help Bert to um, compile this fantastic thing, he's going year by year. It's a chronological thing, but it's an ongoing project. So he, 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 I don't think it's ever going to end, is it? Let's face it. Yeah, I, I want to do it. I think the way to go forward with it, I mean, it started off purely as a Word document. Yeah. Um, I think the way to do it really is going to be some kind of uh, blog, I think. Probably okay. Best, probably the best way of doing it. Um, and obviously... But you're um, quite happy for people to send in information about yes, stations and It will people. be two years out of date on the blog. Yes. For, on purpose. Yes. Yeah? So that if you were broadcasting last week, okay, it'll enter on the files, but it won't appear till two years' time. No evidence. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. No, that's great. So if anybody does that, is there an email they can send information to? I just send it into you at the moment. Send it into me, okay. I don't, so, I don't have anything at the no, moment. No, no, right. What, what we'll do then is is if you send um at the beginning then we give all the, the, the email address out, but it's piratepod seven oh eight oh at gmail.com. Uh, any information, I will then pass it on to Bert for him to include in that. If you can send it printed in some sort of word document that would really help because then he can just transcribe it across basically you want essentially the idea is a date first yeah. okay and then um or date and then where from now that can be a county or it can be a country yeah it doesn't got to be you know 55 london we don't, Road we don't necessarily want your address <laughs> unless of course it was so long ago it doesn't matter yeah, okay yeah? um and then if you got it at frequency and then what happened yeah okay yeah. so so that, that that's that's what that's the project that he's on now and what he's doing now is, is creating And I've seen the file. It's very big. Um, <laughs> he bought it with him today. Um, and he said, have you seen this? And we'll pull out this thing that's the size of a telephone directory, basically. <laughs> um, but it, it's really interesting. And, and uh, when I did my radio station, it wasn't a big station, but I was very pleased that I, I was in the London pirate book and I'm in the index three entries. <laughs> who could beat that? And um, and it's really nice that we did all. We all did this stuff. All of us who, who were involved and people I've um, interviewed, and there's more interviews coming up. I'm speaking to people all the time. Uh, we did this stuff, and because it wasn't official, there's no documentation unless you got caught, of course. Um, so we're creating our own documentation, but. I think we're all quite proud of what we did. And I think we all did something quite important. And again, I've talked about this on the podcast. If I can make one other comment on this. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. In this document, um, I know people are going to be really concerned. Yeah, they might get done for something or something that's in it. So let me tell you this. I'm, so, so I'm saying it's a work of fiction because there are two or three entries in there that I know to be absolutely fictitious. Okay, so therefore it cannot be used in its entirety as any form of evidence at all because technically I know what they are and I can take them out if I want to. I'll be honest with it's you. It's work I, fiction. I, I think it's beyond the statute of limitation. We talk a lot about broadcasting on this, yeah. on, on this, on this podcast. But just people, to be safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm quite happy to tell people where I broadcast from, believe me. Yeah. So, Bert Bridges, it has been absolutely fantastic. You're my first person I've managed to speak to face to face, which is really nice. Thank you for traveling all the way here to be interviewed. I've really enjoyed it. I've loved hearing about Radio Argus. I've loved hearing about the RFL stuff and all the other bits and pieces you've done and all the other stations you've been involved in. Um, if anybody wants to know more, uh, email us piratepod7080 at gmail.com. Anything anybody wants to speak, uh, wants to email uh, Bert direct, I will 
pass them on to him and then he can decide what he wants to do. So thank you ever so much for coming. Yeah, I'm also on Facebook anyway, so <laughs> there's also that option as well. Right, okay, and uh, and you're on the, uh, and you're on the Lambay's Pirate site as well, aren't you? Yeah, so you can you can get to him through that. Anyway, thanks ever so much for coming. Thanks for chatting to us. Yeah, today. no worries, great. Thanks for listening to this Pirates of the Airways podcast. If you would like to comment or get in touch, just email piratepod7080 at gmail.com or leave a comment on the Lambay's Pirate Radio of the 70s and 80s Facebook group. For more on the subject, you could do worse than having a look at piratearchive.net or amfm.org.uk. Thanks again for listening and please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like and review. And this will help you not miss the next podcast, which will be out on Wednesday, the 2nd of November. So until then, stay safe. Radio Nova, broadcasting on 1404 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 meters. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.